Well, as you get adjusted, I can make a quick correction from last week. Uh, it's good to be back in Revelation, but as I introduced Jeff last week, I said I hadn't heard him preach for, in, I think, like eight years or something. I got home, and my daughter right away was like, Dad, you heard Jeff preach last year. And I was like, oh, yeah. So what happened? I was in Atlanta almost all week, the, the week prior, and I hardly slept at all. And then I preached at this uh, youth retreat Friday night, and then all, like, all day Saturday, got home at 1245 in the morning on Sunday. And... Uh, I was totally exhausted eating camp food, too. It took me to like Wednesday to recover. And I, I thought, man, good thing I wasn't preaching. Who knows what came out of my mouth. <laughs> Anyhow, in case that caught you, caught you off guard, I was way off. Eight years, a year and a half, same difference. Uh, all right, it's good to be back in Revelation, uh, though. Uh, chapter 7, wrapping up the sealed judgments uh, today. Could you imagine if... Uh, Chapter 7, verses 9 to 17 is real. Like, could you really, can you really picture that? A great multitude from every tribe and tongue and language and nation worshiping God before his throne. Not running in fear from God, but standing before him, worshiping him. Those who have persevered through the ages are then sheltered by God. Verse 15 says that they're sheltered by the presence of God. He covers them with his wings. Then we're told in 17 that the the lamb himself will will guide them to springs of living water. They will be given life. And what's not there, there's no more hunger, no more thirst. And even the very tears of your eyes will be wiped. Can you imagine that? And the way verse 17 says it is every tear will be wiped from your eyes. Not most of them, not half of them. But that means you, believer, every pain and sorrow you have experienced that God has seen and watched will one day be wiped clean. Is that not glorious? That is reality for all who would persevere. We've seen throughout the book this call to conquer. Remain faithful to Christ unto death, and this you will experience. It's enough to make you speechless, right? In fact, that's what happens in verse 1 of chapter 8. The very next scene, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. That, I think, we're supposed to picture a little bit, like if you, if you ever see on uh, TV or if maybe you've been there, where you're at this very powerful concert or speech or some sort of performance where suddenly you, just, you notice in the crowd that there's absolute silence. And it might even last for a time after the, the performance is over because what happens, the, 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 the audience has been stunned. And you would not dare break the moment with any noise, even cheering. You just sit. And it's actually, silence is a very powerful thing, is it not? If you've ever experienced that, it's a moment that you just cherish because nothing needs to interrupt this powerful moment. And this is what I think heaven, uh, verse 1 of chapter 8, is experiencing, that they have finally seen the ultimate judgment of God poured out and the ultimate salvation of God demonstrated to his people, and they can do nothing but stand in silence. 
Would that not impact our hearts if we could rest in that and trust in that, believe in that, that that's a reality for all who trust in Christ? Would that not impact today, right, our lives this week, if we could not only see it from afar, but to actually sort of taste it, that that's where we're headed? I think it would stir up increased worship for God, just like we see in verse 10 of the saints. Maybe even it would, it would even lessen some of the sting of the sorrows of life today. Right? There's, there's actually a lot of sorrowful things happening within the congregation now and within the world. Uh, and that's, that's normal throughout the pilgrimage. Life is hard this side of glory. Life is hard on earth. We're told that. And there will be intense persecutions towards the church and the general calamities that the church suffers through the ages. But how, how does uh, the Apostle Paul, after he's gone through everything, how does he actually a- able to say this light and momentary affliction? It's, be- it's because the glory that he can see in future, right? So, so this scene is actually meant to come into life th- this week and say, okay, it, the, the, the sorrows of this life sting. But if I can see that and taste it, the, the sting lessens a little. And of course, God willing, this would stir us up to fight, to conquer. Not people, but against the, the own temptation in our own heart to walk away from Christ. To deny him, to doubt him, to question him. Because this is the reality for all who would remain faithful to the end. That's 7, 9 through 17. The big question, uh, we see a people sheltered by God in the passage, right? They're sheltered by God in heaven. The big question is, how do they get there? Well, you say, well, they persevered. Okay, how do they persevere? That actually should be a little bit of a scary question for us because you've tried to start things and you haven't finished, right? Just in normal life. I've, I can't tell you how many projects I've started with all the intentions of finishing, and I never finish. Right? We have a lot of aspirations in life that just never come to fruition. A youth might have this dream of going to a certain university, getting a certain degree so that they can get a certain career, and they make it through the, to the uh, university. They make it through the degree, but it just doesn't transpire. For whatever reason, maybe an obstacle they totally cannot control. Or a young couple gets married with all intentions of till death do us part. But it only takes a few days in when they realize that something inside of them is pretty stinky that they're bringing into the marriage and pretty stinky in the other individual and it all falls apart in a few years. A lot of people start a race and they never finish. You probably know people that you sat with, that you prayed with, that you sang to the Lord with, that you thought were strong followers of Christ, and now today you look back and say, they don't even know the Lord. So, so what makes us think that as we sit here today, that tomorrow we will believe, and next year we will believe, and we indeed will be the people that conquer? So that we end up in verses 9 to 17. Well, the answer is given to us in verses 1 to 8. 
9 to 7, we see a sheltered people by God in heaven. 1 to 8, we see a sealed people by God on earth. That becomes the focus of this section. Uh, The seal, the the people being sealed, is in verse 3, twice in verse 4, once in verse 5, once in verse 8. There's a people who are sealed by God on earth so that they will persevere, so that they will be those who are sheltered by God in glory. So what is the seal? Uh, The seal, uh, it's, if you see there in verse 3, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God. The the seal, uh, it, it becomes very important throughout the book that everybody on earth is labeled. Okay, throughout, throughout the book, that's what you, we'll see this increasingly. You're either labeled by the mark of the beast or you're labeled by the seal of God. But everybody on earth is sealed. And the, the, the or I'm sorry, labeled. Uh, you're either uh, labeled because it distinguishes you as one who worships the beast. You give your allegiance to the beast. You don't give your allegiance to the lamb. Or you're sealed by the Lamb, because that's who you give your allegiance to. That's the one you worship. That's the one you follow. That's the one you will obey. And the sealing of God also certifies that you are owned by the Lamb. And it's meant to, it's meant to give assurance then to the people on earth in, in the vision that they will indeed make it, because God will not forget or leave, leave aside that which he has sealed. Sort of like if you took a piece of blueberry cheesecake that has frosting on it, this, is, this has been my birthday dessert for years now. There is, there is not a better dessert on earth. If you take a piece of blueberry cheesecake with frosting on it and put my name on it and put it in the refrigerator, I am not going to forget that thing. I will get it, I will eat it, and I will be sure of it. And you can bank on it. And this is the idea of the seal of God. If you have the seal of God, you can bank that God will assure, make assure that that person gets to glory. The seal is a stamp of certainty, a guarantee that those people will make it. Of course, the big question in 1 to 8 is, who are the sealed people? There we're told in verse 4 that it's the 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. So you actually have two components here. You have a, a number, 144,000, and you have the, the sons of the tribes of Israel, right? So two things. So uh, I'm not going to give... Be sure to check out our podcast. We'll go into more detail uh, on this this week. But let me just give you a couple quick arguments on this. There's, there's three major ways to interpret these uh, individuals that are sealed. Uh, either you're going to take the approach that says uh, the, the number is literal, 144,000. It's, it's a real number, uh, exactly 144,000 people, and they are ethnic Jews. They biologically have birthed in the line of Israel, literally, right? Second option would be that the number is symbolic. It's not the exact number, 144,000. It's symbolic of something. But the sons of Israel are literal. So that it is referring to people that literally have come from the tribes of Israel, but the number is symbolic. Third approach would be to say that both the number and the sons of Israel, the tribes of Israel, are symbolic. Now, because we're in apocalyptic literature, and if you've been following with us, our approach is always 
Because it's apocalyptic literature, we're assuming symbolic unless proven otherwise, right, with the numbers. We've already seen numbers being used symbolically, four being kind of wholeness, and like we even see in this passage, the four corners of the earth, or the, the seven eyes, the seven horns on the lamb. It's, it's uh, the image of, of uh, like, uh, the whole, the, the completion, or the seven churches, the complete church. And so here we would understand this to be symbolic. Here's a very fast, uh, a couple of reasons why. And there's more, but here's a couple. Just so you see verse 3, uh, it says, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God. Uh, that word servants, every time it's used out in this book, outside of this passage, it's always referring to those who believe in Christ. Uh, globally, from every ethnicity, gender, age, just believers in general, that's what it's referring to, as well as uh, it gets contrasted, this seal. Like I said, everybody is marked in the book. It's all the people who worship the beast, all his servants, and all the servants who follow the lamb are the ones who are marked. And so it would indicate uh, that this 144,000 from the tribes of Israel is all the servants are marked. So it would go beyond the 144,000 and beyond the, the people of Israel. Second, uh, if you see it there in verse 3, it says, sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Right? On their foreheads. In chapter 14, the 144,000 show up again, and they have a name written on their forehead. A name of, the name of God and the name of the Lamb. Presumably that's the seal. So he, he defines what the seal is later in the book. It's the name. And interestingly, if you were here when we went over the church in Philadelphia in chapter 3, Jesus tells them that you will be given a name of God and of the Lamb written on you, which is a Gentile audience, primarily. So there we see in the book the seal that is the name of God and the Lamb written on the forehead of 144,000 is also the very same seal that is on the Gentiles as well who believe. Uh, third, uh, this list that's given of the tribes of Israel it has some unique irregularities. There's, there's no other list like this uh, in the scriptures with these people in this fashion, which seems to be John's way of indicating don't assume this is literal. This is meant to be symbolic. Uh, let me, a couple things here would be Judah. Uh, if, don't worry if you don't catch all this. It's okay. I'm just trying to give a quick apologetic for this. Uh, but Judah is the fourth born. He's, he's who the promise comes to, the Messiah, right? It would make sense that he gets listed first here. He gets bumped up to number one. Reuben is biologically the firstborn of Jacob, uh, but he gets moved down to, to number two. Biologically, it goes Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. So Simeon would be, should be in place three then, and Levi should be in place four. But where does Simeon show up? He shows up seventh in the list, and Levi shows up eighth. There's no explanation for that other than to be some indication that there's some sort of a symbolic thing that is going on here. Um, second, the tribe of Dan is not in here. Uh, that's one of the, the children of Jacob, one of the tribes of Israel. He's eliminated from the list. Uh, some think it's because uh, Dan led them uh, Israel into idolatry in the Old Testament, which is true. Um, but in Ezekiel, as Ezekiel, this is hundreds of years after uh, that, that happened with Dan, hundreds of years later, as Ezekiel points forward to this uh, latter-day people of God, tribes of Israel, Dan is mentioned first. 
So Ezekiel looks forward and says, no, Dan's going to be there. He's not eliminated, but here Dan's gone. Why? The only explanation seems to be there's something, some symbolic thing that John is, is doing. And then lastly, with the list, uh, we have Levi in, in there. Uh, oftentimes, Levi is taken out for land promises uh, because Le- the Levites, the, the priests, were not given land. Uh, they were actually dispersed throughout all Israel, and all the tribes were meant to care for the Levites. Uh, when that happens, Levi is taken out, as is Joseph, which leaves you with ten tribes, right? In place of Joseph gets inserted Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. If you remember at the end of Genesis, uh, Jacob called Joseph before him, before he died, with his two sons, and told Joseph, these two sons of yours that were born in Egypt, Manasseh and Ephraim, are my sons. So Jacob claims those two sons for himself, uh, and therefore they are actually given the land promise. So anytime in the Old Testament when you see a land promise, Levite's out, Joseph is out, and insert is Manasseh and Ephraim. Now in this list, uh, look at number six, it's 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh is in there, Ephraim is not. Again, the only explanation seems to be there's intentional irregularities to demonstrate that this is meant to be a symbolic list. And then last, what happens here is, is characteristic of the book. Uh, in chapter 5, you might remember, John heard about a lion from the tribe of Judah, and then he looked and he saw a lamb. He heard a lot about a lion, he looked and he saw a lamb. Later in the book, John is going to, uh, he's told that he will be shown, so he, he hears about the bride, the wife of the lamb, and then he looks, and what does he see? A city. He hears about a bride, then he looks and sees a city. So here, he hears 144,000, and he looks, and what does he see? A great multitude. See, the imagery gets, gets flipped a little bit, and it's getting more defined. And so this is very characteristic throughout the book that would seem to indicate that this is symbolic. Uh, one popular way of seeing it symbolic is to simply say it's, it's this complete, vast number of people the, the people of God, the true Israel that God has called to be his possession, and is complete, it's vast, it's 12 times 12 times 10 times 10 times 10. It's this massive people of God, and all of them are coming in, and they are sealed by God, and they will make it to the end. That seems to be the way it goes. So the question you would ask then is, who are those sheltered in heaven by God? It is those who are sealed by God on earth. The people sheltered by God in heaven are those sealed by God on earth. All right, so we're going to do something a little bit different here. Um, Today we're going to actually read our whole sealed judgment section. I just wanted to give an overview of 7, which we haven't preached through. Part of the purpose is... We know that Revelation is an intimidating book for many folks, and we, our goal in part of the series is to see that intimidation continue to go down. Uh, as we heard, it seemed uh, folks were really feeling like we had a handle on chapters 1 to 3. Those are fairly simple chapters, right? Uh, then we got into 4 through 8 here. It's the sealed judgments. Uh, it, would, it would be a great delight to hear that the intimidation continues to go down. If you've been here, been preaching through this, or as we preach through this section, Hopefully, you, you can say, uh, by the end of chapter 7, you, you could say, you know what? I think I know what Revelation is saying so far. 
That would be a great delight. So we want to read through it as well as try to experience a little bit of what heaven experiences in verse 1 of chapter 8. Just be a little bit amazed by God. Now let me just give you a two-minute quick overview of the whole section and then we're just going to read it. So remember, chapter 4 is the Almighty God on the throne, right? And he's worthy to be praised by the four living creatures, the elders, and uh, the angels don't show up in chapter 4, but they do in chapter 5. The lamb who was slain comes and he takes a scroll from the one seated on the throne. And that scroll is the decrees of God for the destiny and the direction of history, namely the judgments of God and salvation of God that is going to come. And they're all sealed. Uh, The lamb is worthy to open the seal because he was slain. Open the seals because he was the one who was slain. Chapter 6, we have the opening of the seals. So the scroll is being opened. The first four seals, if you remember, uh, demonstrate the calamities that will be poured out on earth. They will be recurring, ongoing, universal, though unequally distributed. And they will, they will last until the second coming of Christ, until the Lamb comes again with final judgment, final salvation. And he gives particular attention that the church itself will experience increased oppression, increased persecution through that age, which John calls the tribulation, which John in 1.9 says he's a part of already, right? So that's what we are in now. Uh, the fifth seal in chapter 6 is the martyrs who are in heaven crying out to God, how long? How long before your justice is seen? How long before your holiness is seen and final judgment is poured out? And they're given an answer. He says, wait a little longer. Rest. And they're given white robes, if you remember this, to wait. And then uh, the sixth seal at the end of chapter 6 is the answer to that question, how long? And if you remember, we have the intro music of God coming in judgment, where the earth gives way, and the sun turns red, or the sun turns black, and the, the moon turns red. The stars fall to the earth, and the sky actually rolls up like a scroll. And who is there but the one on the throne and the people of earth, kings, generals, powerful ones, rich, and even the slaves and the free all cry out, hide us from the face of the Lamb. They're terrified of the one who they see. And the question at the end of chapter 6 is this, who can stand? Who can stand against that one when he comes in judgment? And what's the answer? It happens at the end of 7, doesn't it? There are a multitude standing in the presence of God. So at the end of chapter 6, you have them many fearing and cowering from the presence of God. End of chapter 7, you have a multitude who are standing, worshiping, being sheltered by God. That's your answer. What, how does that happen? Right in the middle, the seal of the living God gets his people to the end. They will persevere because God seals his people and will see to it. And therefore, God is worthy of all praise. So let's go for it. Uh, let's read chapter uh, 4, verse 1 to 8, 1 of Revelation. After this, I looked, and behold, a a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, uh, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper, 
and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, and on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. And the third living creature, with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one. In heaven? No one on earth? No one under the earth? was able to open the scroll or to look into it. I began to weep. I began to weep loudly because there was no one found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he, he went and he, he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang. They, they sang a new song, saying, Worthy, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. 
And by your blood, you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and language or nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I, I heard every creature in heaven, every creature on earth, every creature under the earth, and every creature in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen! And the elders fell down and worshipped. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a, a voice like thunder, Come! And I, I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering, and to conquer. And remember, we were saying this is evil conquering. When he opened the, the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I, I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a, a pair of scales in his hand, and, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. And you remember this was an image of great oppression and starvation, uh, great inflation that's happening. Verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the, the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. Its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by a wild beast of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O oh, sovereign Lord! Holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then each of them was given a white robe. They were told to rest a little longer until the, the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were yet to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was 
a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth. The, the full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the, the kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals, the rich and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Because the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Now, for the reader, there should be a little bit of fear here. Because the reader asks, well, yeah, who can stand? Where's the church in this? What's the church going to do? And so John is sort of going to give a little bit of insight of this whole time period and say, well, let me show you. Let me show you who's going to stand through this period. Doesn't mean they won't get hurt. Doesn't mean they won't be killed. Doesn't won't mean they won't be. Doesn't mean they won't be oppressed or suffer the calamities of earth. But they will make it to the other side. And let me show you how. After this, verse one, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, and they were they were holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun over in the east with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees. Do not harm it until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Isaacer, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, items of victory, like purity and victory. And they were crying out with a loud voice, Salvation! Salvation belongs to our God! who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God, saying, Amen! Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and 
honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these? Clothed in white robes. And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. Now there, I, you just have to pause there for a second. I think what's going on in John, I don't know this for a fact, but if you can try to imagine yourself as John, as John um, you know, the gospel has just begun to go out. There is not a great multitude yet who have confessed faith in Christ. They've been commanded, commissioned to take the gospel to the nations. John here on an island and uh, Patmos imprisoned, uh, old, I think when he's asked, who are these people? I think it's a little bit like, uh, you know, if, if uh, one day we were traveling and we pulled into Culver's, uh, we were driving and the kids are in the back and we pull in and uh, the kids, like they know we're at, we're at Culver's and we say, hey, kids, you know why we're here? They hope they know why we're there, but they're a little nervous to say it. So they say, I don't know, you, you guys know why we're here, right? <laughs> All the while saying, I hope they say ice cream. It's not just to go to the bathroom. I think John is probably longing in his heart, I, ho- I hope. I hope these are those to whom the gospel has gone and trans- uh, uh, they, they've transformed them. They've persevered through the tribulation and they're now standing before the throne. That is my longing. Oh, please let it be so. And so verse 13, then one of the angels addressed me saying, John, who, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. He said to me, these These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more. Neither shall they thirst any more. The sun shall never again strike them, nor any scorching heat, because the Lamb, in the midst of the throne, he will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's right, church. That's you, Jennifer. God will wipe away every pain and sorrow you've experienced one day. Nick, Olivia, one day God will come and take those tears right off. And Char and Connie, Steve. God will bring you into his presence And wipe them clean. All the sorrow is gone. All the long years, Andrew and Natalie, you will worship 
Christ on his throne forever. He will guide you to streams and springs of living water where you'll be given life, Josh, and Eric and Hannah. And everybody who worships the Christ, he will wipe away all the pain. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was absolute silence in heaven for about a half an hour. What a glorious Christ we serve. And with that, we turn to Lord's Supper. Because we look not to our own power and strength to make it to that day. We look to the one who was broken on our behalf to bring us to God. Who inaugurated the new covenant, where we would be given new hearts, where we would be given the Holy Spirit, given power to persevere to the end. If you are a follower of Christ, the Lord's table is open to you. This is not about perfection, but by, about direction. If you are worshiping Christ, striving to walk faithfully in repentant faith, then the table is open to you. We encourage you to participate and remember the death of Christ on our behalf that makes chapter 7, verses 9 to 17, a reality that we will one day experience. Let us remember our Lord. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you. As we partake of the cup, let us drink it as receiving from God the promise of the blood of Christ that secures this reality for us. In partaking of the, the cup, we actually say back to God, we receive it, we believe it, we trust it. We will trust in him, not in us. We will trust in you to give us power to persevere. We will trust in you to fulfill your promise. Thank you for the blood of Christ. The Lord Jesus, in the same way, took the cup after supper, saying, This cup, it is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let us stand and pray together. God, we thank you for this, this, uh, this wonderful book the realities in it. We thank you that you sealed the people, that you are sealing a people today. We ask specifically, God, for, for those who are, who are your people, whom you've sealed. There's, there's many reasons why we get tired. We wonder if we'll make it to the end. And I ask, God, that you would give us strength Give us strength for the day. Give us strength for the week to walk faithfully. 
though the world brings many sorrows, you will hold us up. Give us eyes to see it more clearly, we ask. In the name of Christ, amen.